Well, I'm so glad to be here with you all tonight. So excited um, before fall break. Also, thank you all for being here tonight and not deciding to go home a day early. I'm excited for what the Lord has for you and how he's going to speak to you tonight. Um, and yeah, I just really appreciate it. So for those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Julia Johnson. I'm on staff here with Kyle. Um, and before working in Kayafa, before coming on staff here, um, I worked at Chick-fil-A. I was a training director. So fun. Um, it was a dream. But um, at the store that I worked at in Roanoke, Virginia, where I grew up, um, let's go, Roanoke. You from Roanoke? Nice. So fun. Um, the ice cream place. What's it called? Homestead Creamery. So good. Nothing beats it. Not even smileys. So true. I know, I know. That's great. That's great. But it's, you guys have to try it. If you ever find yourselves in Roanoke, in Franklin County, go to Homestead Creamery. It's so delicious. Um, that was really bold. But anyways, at the store that I worked at in Roanoke, there was this lovely prep lady. Her name was Miss Selena. And she was the most wonderful woman. When I think of somebody who is like a life giver, somebody who like I just I want to be around because I genuinely feel like I'm a better person after I'm around them, I think of a few people, but Miss Selena is one of the first people that come to my mind. Um, she was the kind of woman that everybody kind of like wished was their mother. It was like, my life would just be so great if you were my mom. Like, I don't know, she was just such a mother figure to everybody. Um, she had the sweetest heart. She always cared about literally everybody. Like every conversation she would like be talking to me, she's like, wow, that is so wonderful. Like she was engaging in all of her conversations no matter how busy she was. Um, her laugh was contagious, right? When she walked into the room, it felt like the like, atmosphere kind of shifted a little bit. Like things could be so tense and so like stressful and Miss Selena walks in and everything's just so much better. Like she was just a magical woman. And so you know when she was about to um, leave to be on medical leave for chemotherapy, um, she left with the greatest smile. She left just a woman of encouragement and she just um, yeah, she just left with so much peace. And then she came back from defeating cancer, from conquering that, right? She came in with the biggest smile, as she should. And she came right in. She didn't miss a beat. She, like, walked up to us, and she'd be like, wow, like, how's your mom doing? Like, I remember all of these things that you told me about, and all these things. She was just so caring, and everyone around her is a better person because of her. Um, and so when Miss Selena was on the schedule, you just knew it was going to be the best day. And I promised that this relates to the sermon in one way or another. Um, I wish all of you could meet Miss Lena. She's wonderful. Um, but when I think of a person who gives life, a, a person who um, is just an encourager, a person of peace, I think of Miss Lena. And tonight, we are going to be studying the sixth commandment and um, what it means to be and to choose to be a giver of life. <laughs> And so when I think about this commandment as I was studying this, Miss Selena came to mind a little bit. Um, and so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And um, yeah, we've just been going through the Ten Commandments this semester, and we come to this sixth commandment. 
And as you guys are turning there, I'm just going to pray over tonight real quick. Um, yeah, Jesus, I thank you so much for this evening. God, I thank you um, just for your word. God, that as we study it, as we um, just dive deeper into what you have to say to us, God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would just be open to you, Lord, to what you're speaking to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we come to Exodus chapter 20 in verse 13. And it says, do not murder. And that is all, right? Amen. That's good now. And so as I come to this commandment, as I come to Israel, um, Israel is like an ancient Near East people, I tend to kind of overlook this commandment. Like I read it, right? I'm like, do not murder. Got it. Like you don't have to convince me not to do that, right? Easy enough. And even um, when we look at what Jesus has to say about this, uh, but even when I read about what Jesus has to say about it, and he's like, don't even hate somebody. Spoiler alert. Um, I kind of breeze past that too a little bit because I'm just kind of like, sure, I don't actively hate somebody right now, so I'm doing all right. You know what I mean? But as I study, as I study this passage, um, this one verse particularly, I had to ask the question: What is the core of this commandment? Like, what is at the heart of this commandment? And as I studied this passage, I realized there's so much more depth into this specific commandment. And so this is the first of the next set of commandments that tell how to protect the community. That the second half of commandments, starting with the sixth one, is God commanding, giving commandments that would protect the community that was Israel. And so nearly every civilization, even in other ancient Near East civilizations at this time, had this one as part of like their moral code, right? Like most civilizations could agree, yeah, like don't don't kill people. Like that's really bad, right? Each civilization differed in the consequences of this action, but overall, there was a basic value of human life. Overall, most, um, most civilizations valued human life. In many civilizations, there was an option for a ransom to be paid to the family um, who lost a life, who lost a brother, a sister, whoever. But in the Israelite community, God didn't allow for ransom to be paid. There wasn't any like monetary value that was placed by God on a person's life being taken. It was always a life for a life. And so many theologians believe that this is because at the core of who we are, humanity is created in the image of God. And the act of taking someone else's life of destroying the image of God was beyond any type of ransom. That there was no monetary value that could be placed on somebody's life, on the image of God that is humanity. And so there's this much higher value of life in this God-centered community. So we see in this commandment that the heart of this commandment, the core of this commandment, do not murder, like do not take somebody's life. And why? Because life has value. Because we as image bearers of God have this intrinsic value on our lives. And so the heart of this commandment is the value of life and therefore protecting the community. That when we value life, we're protecting the community. Psalm 139 says that our lives have inherent value because we are created intentionally in the image of God. 
And this psalm tells us that our identity is in God because he is the one who created us. That he's the one who gives life. He is the one in whom our identity is secure. That our identity as image bearers of God is secure in Christ. And scripture is littered with this kind of language, right? That we're intentionally created with purpose in the image of God. And that in, in, we see in Genesis chapter 1 that um, our first and foremost vocation, like the purpose, like who we are at our core, is image bearers. And so as image bearers, we must be givers of life, not takers of life. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be a giver of life? How does this actually like play out, right? One Old Testament scholar says that we must always be givers, not takers of life, that we as believers. She says that life is sacred from the time of conception to death. And so as we think about being life givers, I think a good question to ask is, is my action in this moment, or are my words in this moment giving life? or taking it. Proverbs 15.4 says that a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And throughout scripture, we're told that the tongue has the power to give life and to take life. We see this theme throughout scripture, right? That taking life doesn't always mean this literal like taking of somebody's life, but a lot of times it also means kind of like a breaking of the spirit. We see in scripture that our words have the power to build up and our words also have the power to destroy. James says that our words have the power to give life and our words have the power to take it. And so the heart of this command, do not murder, is the value of life, the intrinsic value of life that we have as image bearers of God. Because the value of life is at the heart of this command. We must be people who choose to be givers of life and not takers of it with our actions and also with our words. And so as we turn to Matthew chapter 5, um, we see what Jesus has to say about this command. So you guys can go ahead and turn. Also, I meant to do this earlier, but if anybody doesn't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. We have some at the welcome table. I don't know if anybody would like one. Cool, 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 cool. Um, and so in Matthew chapter 5, we come to this point of Jesus' ministry. This is um, called the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is one of the earlier stages of Jesus' ministry, and he's speaking to this crowd and his disciples. And many theologians would agree that Jesus is kind of like laying the foundation for his ministry. He's laying the foundation for how he's going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so he's taking all of these different concepts and even commandments, and he's saying, this is what we believe about blank, right? He talks about like marriage and divorce and like who the kingdom belongs to. And he's, he's like, this is your idea of all of these things, but this is what it actually is. He's taking everybody's idea of what the kingdom of heaven is, what the kingdom of God might be, and he kind of flips it upside down. And so in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 21 through 23, we read, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. 
And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jeez. <laughs> Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And so Jesus takes the word of this law many steps further. How easy would it have been to say, yeah, like, I do actually hate this person, but at least I'm not really thinking about taking their life, right? Like, that's justifiable, right? But Jesus brings the bar so much higher for how we are to value life. Don't murder, easy enough. Don't even hold anger or contempt towards your brother or sister. Like, that's another, another level, right? I think all of us can agree that at some point in our lives, maybe even today or yesterday, we had anger towards somebody. And so Jesus, in this um, part of his sermon, as he's talking about um, not taking a life, Jesus forbids the anger that never forgets. This anger that refuses to be pacified and seeks revenge, right? He said, don't hold on to this anger. Like, don't hold on to this anger that never forgets. Like, forget, move forward. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, about forgiveness. And so Jesus says that um, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And so the English equivalent to this word, raka, means stupid, or empty-headed, or, right? Has, has anybody ever said that to somebody? Like, empty-headed? <laughs> like, I've never said that. But like, something along those lines. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. We can talk later, that's fine. Oh. Wow, that's okay, I forgive you. Um, it also means worthless or good for nothing. One scholar even says that the term raka denotes a certain looseness of life. That when, you, then, that when people use the term raka, it was like, your life doesn't have as much value. Right? And so with the English, right? And so with the English equivalent of this, of stupid, worthless, good for nothing, empty-headed, right? When we say those things, when we think those things, that denotes a certain looseness of life. And so as life has value, we see in Jesus' sermon that life has value not only to the point of life versus death, but also to the point of treating each other with honor, dignity, and respect. To the point of seeing each and every person, each and every person in this room, at JMU, in the world, each and every human as someone who is valued, loved, and known in Christ. And so Jesus not only addresses the external sin of murder, but also addresses the internal roots, the issue that, that gives rise to murder. Jesus addresses the progression of anger into contempt, into verbal abuse, and then eventually a full action of taking somebody's life. And so for Jesus, the bar is set so much higher. He removes all of the gray area that is, I hate this person, but at least I'm not about to take their life. Or Jesus has forgiven them, but so I don't have to. Like, I don't have to let that go. And he says, don't even be angry. Don't hold on to this unpacifiable anger toward your brother or sister. And so as I read this, as I consider this, the next question that comes to mind is, what would our communities look like if we decided to be life givers? 
Indeed. <laughs> Thank you so much. What would our communities look like if we decided to be life givers? What would it look like for each of us in this room to choose to bring life into situations rather than anger or contempt? If we chose to speak life rather than join in on gossiping about somebody, If we chose to respond in kindness and love when somebody hurts us, rather than with trying to get the last word. What do you think could happen in this community? What do you think could happen in your houses or in your dorms? If you decided to be a person to, in every situation with your words and actions, choose to give life, to be a giver of life. What if when your brother or sister or your mom and dad or even a roommate is saying something in an angry tone or saying something that makes you angry and instead of responding with the best comeback or responding with the comeback that will like destroy them, what if you responded out of a place of love? Scripture tells us that a calm answer turns away anger. And so choosing to be life givers rather than life takers with our words and actions, it not only affects communities, like our communities that we're in, but it also affects us as individuals. Scripture tells us that the mouth is a window to the soul, that what we say ultimately shows who we are and what's in our hearts. Dallas Willard says in Renovation of the Heart in Daily Practice, our lives are a result of what we have become in the depths of our being, what we call our spirit, will, or heart. From there we see our world and interpret reality. From there we make choices, break forth into action, and try to change our world. And that is why the greatest need of collective humanity is the renovation of our heart. He goes on to say that an ongoing relationship to Jesus, that closeness to Jesus, brings about the transformation from the inside out. That as we spend time with Jesus in the truth of his word and in the truth of his presence, we start to see things through the lens of truth and goodness. And as we become transformed by Jesus, the desires of our hearts change. The character and core of who we are change. Our tendencies change and are shaped on the foundation of truth and love and humility. And our lives and reactions will be marked by giving life rather than taking it. A real devotional life with Jesus, the daily practice of abiding with Jesus, solves a myriad of problems. And so as we spend time with Jesus, as we allow Jesus to transform our souls, we get to walk in the truth and the reality that um, each that we ourselves are created in the image of God, but also we get to see each other. We get to see each and every person as made in the image of God and therefore having value and being known and loved. I think that sometimes um, as we think about like, what's in our heart and, and how our hearts and lives and minds are being transformed, I think that sometimes we'll respond or react in a certain way and we're like, whoa, where did that come from, right? Like when something tough or difficult or bad happens um, or even not that bad and we like respond and it's like either an anger or just like frustration and we're like, whoa, 
that's not me. Like, where did that come from? And we sometimes even brush it off as like, oh, I was just, you know, hangry. Like, I just moved that food. Like, now I'm good. I think that sometimes, that it actually does come from somewhere, right? I think that we have to sometimes give our reactions and our emotions a little bit more weight when thinking about what's in our hearts, what causes us to respond in these different ways. And so what if we would be people committed to bringing life into each situation of our lives? If we commit to filling our minds and hearts with things that are life-giving? I think that that's what would pour out of us. That in situations that would normally like frustrate us or would normally cause like kind of tough reactions, right? That we would actually respond in love and grace because our lives are a result of what is in the depths of our being, in the depths of our hearts. And so how does anger, as Jesus talks about anger, he's like, don't even be angry with somebody. How does anger affect our relationship with others and our own hearts? I think that it affects us because our responses and reactions, our words and our actions flow out of what's in our hearts. And so eventually, what we allow to give weight in our hearts is who we become. And so when we allow bitterness and anger and unforgiveness to take root in our hearts, in our minds, that eventually, that is who we are and that's who we have become. Our joy is robbed, our peace is gone, and our lives is like this joyless pit, right, of nothing. Like, that does not sound fun. That sounds heavy, right? But the good news is that when we allow forgiveness to take root in our heart, when we allow joy to take root in our hearts and our minds, to replace that anger and unforgiveness, we become people of peace. Right? Our lives are so much lighter. We become like Miss Selena, who has joy in every situation, who brings peace to every person, to every situation. We'd be people who live with grace and compassion, that our presence would be just so light and wonderful, like Miss Selena's. I really love Miss Selena. And so Jesus goes on to say to the crowd in his sermon um, that as they're bringing their offering to the Lord, he says, if you remember that somebody else has something against you, go and make things right. Go and seek reconciliation. If somebody else has something against you, you need a person that goes and seeks reconciliation. And so what is he saying here? He's not saying that if someone hasn't forgiven you and there's no reconciliation that you cannot like become right with God or offer, offer your gift of praise to the Lord. Because it takes one person to offer forgiveness. It takes one person to forgive, but it takes two people to have reconciliation, right? Like both parties have to be involved in this reconciliation. There has to be a mutual forgiveness and reconciling for there to be reconciliation. And so Jesus, in this sermon, he's calling us to be seekers of reconciliation, to be the ones that say, I am going to go and seek this out, to be people of peace. That when there's tension between you and somebody else, that you should be the one to seek out peace and reconciliation and forgiveness because you value the relationship and you value that person more than being right or more than having the last word. Because you value the other person so much more that you are willing to do the difficult and sometimes scary thing that is confrontation, right? Of just like reaching out and saying, hey, I think there's tension between us. Like, let's work it out, right? Sometimes that's kind of scary. 
But you recognize that without the desire for reconciliation, that there's room for anger and bitterness to form and fester in your heart. But with the desire for reconciliation, it brings freedom to our souls. It allows us to be people of peace. It creates space for Jesus to be our fullness of joy, right? It allows us to release the weight of anger and contempt. And so as we see in Jesus' sermon, we see that he raises the bar so much more for our understanding of this command, do not murder, do not take somebody's life. That it's so much more than just, cool, I haven't taken somebody's life. Right, not just. It's so much more than I haven't taken this. Um, but he says, don't even hold this unforgivable anger. Don't even hold this unreconcilable anger towards somebody else. Like, be a person of peace. Be a person who seeks reconciliation for the good of your own heart, right? But also, as we talked about, for the good of the community, right? That there could be unity in relationships once again. And so what does it mean for us when Jesus raises the bar? Like, what do we do with this? How do we move forward? How are we to view people as known and loved and valued, rather than just like something or somebody in the way of getting to the next place in our lives or the next place in our day? Valuing life is so much more than than taking somebody's life. It's choosing forgiveness. It's standing up for victims. It's choosing kindness and humility over being right. It's saying, Jesus sees you as known, loved, and valued. And so I'm going to do the same as well. It's spending time with Jesus and bringing the tensions in relationships or bringing, asking the Holy Spirit, like, God, search me and know my heart. Like, see if there's anything in me that needs to come to the service, right? It's spending time with Jesus so that we can become aware of these things, we can bring it to him, and we can truly see people in the lens of who they are in Christ as image bearers. According to Genesis 9-6, the sanctity of all human life is grounded in the fact that God made human beings in the divine image. And so all life derives from God. God is the giver of all life. And so belongs to God, humanity has this special, like, higher value because we are the only part of creation that is created in the image of God, that we're the only part of creation that gets to bear God's image. An Old Testament scholar in her commentary on Exodus says that wherever life is in danger due to war, violence, lack of shelter and nourishment, lack of proper medical care, etc. This commandment calls God's people to sustain life and to reflect on all the implications and challenges of its call. She says that we are to be people who give life in all these areas, that we are to be people who always choose to give life in our words and actions. And this is why I believe that we as Christians are to value life from womb to tomb, to advocate for those who don't yet have a voice, to advocate for those whose voice has been taken away, no matter how old they are, and to advocate for justice. And in advocating for justice, it's not necessarily like our expectation of justice or our idea of justice, because sometimes that can be a little counterfeit. It can be like jaded by our own like, desires or whatever, right? But God's pure and true and holy justice, that we are to pursue godly justice. 
and I think a lot, in a lot of different areas, many people in here tonight have different ideas of what justice looks like, right? But God in his sovereignty and truth has the purest view of justice. He sees the end from the beginning and he's the creator of all things good. The nature of God is and always will be and always has been good and true. And so when we think of God's justice, we can trust that his justice is good and true. And so we are to be people who always choose to be givers of life in our words and actions. And so I think we also have to ask the question, what do we do when we are faced with decisions that either way will cause life to be taken, right? I think that inevitably, because we live in a broken world where the fullness of the kingdom of heaven is not yet, there will be times that we're faced with really difficult situations. Situations where it seems like it's a lose-lose. Like, no matter what I do, I feel like I can't give life in either of these decisions. I also want to be sensitive to um, just the diversity in this room. I want to be sensitive that um, recognizing that, that some of us have been in situations that we could have never imagined we'd be in some very, like, really, truly difficult situations. And I think that also some of us have been in other difficult situations that may have been less dire, but nonetheless extremely difficult. I think that some of you have been, or eventually will be, in situations about um, end-of-life choices and having to make difficult decisions where end-of-life choices have to be made. You may, you maybe had to make a decision about life in general, and it was just a really tough decision. And I think that even some of us um, have lost relationships or, or just really good friendships over these difficult situations, over these difficult times, right? And so I think that in these times where it feels like a lose-lose situation, that we pray. Right? We desperately ask Holy Spirit to give us godly wisdom. That we would seek wisdom from our Christ-centered community, from those whom we trust to share like biblical wisdom with us, not just what they imagine we should do, or like, oh, this feels like the right thing, right? But people that would go to God in prayer with us. And I think we also have to cling to the truth in any situation that God is with us, that he's with us and he's for us that he is heartbroken, that we even have to face these very difficult situations. That he's right there with you saying, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how I created things. I did not intend for you to have to go through these really difficult times. And we remember that Jesus tells us that he's our burden bearer, that he's the one that bears our burdens, right? That, that he's not our burden sharer. And that he has come so that we, collective humanity, could have fullness of life and fullness of joy.